0: Hi guys, it's Dr. Cassie back again with a great episode, Psychology of Truths, How to Approach the Convo, sponsored in part by Hills Pet Nutrition. With so much information available to our clients these days, both helpful and misleading, it's so important for us as veterinary professionals to get involved in the conversation to help make sure that our patients are eating a healthy diet that is appropriate for their current life stage. This is even more important with the recent report from the FDA linking certain diets to dilated cardiomyopathy. In this podcast, Dr. Drew Forrester will discuss ways in which we can effectively communicate with pet owners and work as a team to develop an appropriate nutritional plan for their pet. Dr. Forrester is a board-certified veterinary internist and is currently the Director of Global Scientific Affairs for Hills Pet Nutrition. With that, Dr. Forrester, over to you.
1: Thanks for the invitation to to speak to you today. And it's a very important topic, I think, that many of us face on an everyday basis when we're communicating with, with pet owners. And if you interact with pet owners or if you shop for your own pet, you've very likely encountered some very strong opinions and beliefs about pet food. So some of the common ones that come to mind for me are statements such as meat should be the first ingredient in a pet food dogs are wolves and they need high protein. Another one is that cats and dogs can't digest carbohydrates in grains and therefore grains shouldn't be in pet foods. Another one is that corn is a common cause of food allergies. And then probably one that we've all heard is that byproducts are bad. And these statements all have one thing in common and they're all incorrect, yet they continue to be communicated and unfortunately believed in in many cases. These are Misinformation or myths may be a more common way that they're referred to. They're, they're like Velcro. They stick and they can be really challenging to remove their influence. Even if you find out that they are incorrect, you're so accustomed to hearing them that it's very difficult to forget them. And the important thing is that they can have a very negative impact on pet health because they can make it challenging for pet owners to follow the appropriate recommendations from the veterinary health care team. If you think about common myths that you have heard and the negative impact that they've had, one that probably is very popular and comes to mind right away is that vaccines cause autism, which is absolutely incorrect. Yet it has persisted and been propagated and unfortunately has resulted in decreased vaccination of children because parents are concerned. And this has resulted in some increased occurrence of outbreaks of measles uh, would be one example. In the nutrition side for pets, another common myth is that grains in pet foods are bad. And this has led to an explosion in the marketplace of uh, grain-free pet food options for, for pet owners. These are called boutique exotic grain-free diets or beg diets. And, and now we're seeing an increased association between feeding these types of diets and the occurrence of dilated cardiomyopathy in dogs. So you can see where misinformation, if propagated and continued to be believed, can really have negative consequences for the health of pets. And it's really, really important for us to do something to combat this misinformation. One of the challenges with so much accessible information today is that Anyone is an expert. They can share their opinions, their version of the truth. And unfortunately, it's not always accurate or science based. For some, another challenge is uh, foods kind of like a religion. People speak with conviction. And if you are in the position of a veterinary technician or veterinary healthcare team member, it can really seem overwhelming and, and difficult to, to try and change their minds. And you really may want to avoid it. You may feel like you'd rather avoid having that difficult conversation. The other challenge that we see in veterinary hospitals is we're busy, we have many responsibilities, and it just feels like it's just, I don't have time to take to the effort to engage and have a conversation with someone who may have different beliefs than than what I think is appropriate. So the good news is that even though there are Lots of inaccurate statements and misinformation out there that pet owners have access to. Pet owners are still looking to you as a member of the veterinary health care team for advice and input. They still consider the health care team to be a trusted source of information. The overwhelming majority, more than 80% based on market research that we've done, confirms that pet owners do want to hear from you and to know what your recommendations are specifically about pet nutrition. In many cases, the pet owner is initiating the conversation about nutrition, asking questions, trying to understand and make their way through all of the overwhelming information that's out there, including many of the, the myths that they may have heard, uh, the information that is incorrect. And this really gives you a great chance to pick up on them asking questions and then carry through with having a conversation to help them understand what's correct and, and what's incorrect. So the guidance on nutritional recommendations that you can give are really very important because they help support optimal health. Uh, For pets, we know that nutrition plays a very key role in many of the common chronic diseases that you see every day in your practice in dogs and cats. So, So for example, obesity is at epidemic proportions in dogs and cats, and nutrition is central to preventing and treating obesity successfully. It's Also, very critical in managing diseases like osteoarthritis. Uh, We know that if we can feed dogs appropriately and prevent them from becoming overweight, they have less occurrence of osteoarthritis and they actually have an improved survival time. A couple of studies demonstrate that dogs live up to two years or more longer if you maintain a lean body condition. So nutrition critically important in, in, in maintaining pet health there. Nutrition is also very important for managing feline lower urinary tract diseases and idiopathic cystitis in particular. We know that nutrition can help decrease the rate of recurrence of episodes of idiopathic cystitis so that cats have fewer urinary accidents and they urinate in the litter box, which is very important in the family bond for, for, for people that have cats. Nutrition is very important for helping dissolve safely and effectively struvite stones in the bladder, and that can help avoid the need for surgery. And another example is that nutrition is critical for improving the quality and length of life in dogs and cats with kidney disease. So these are just a few examples of the benefits of nutrition, and it's really important to help overcome the misinformation that is out there so that we can recommend nutrition to help manage these very common diseases in dogs and cats. And you as a veterinary technician or any other member of the healthcare team, you can make a really big difference for pets and be an advocate for them when it comes to the importance of nutrition. You have a critical role in communicating with pet owners as a veterinary technician. You listen to them, you understand their needs and their the goals that they have for their pets, and you are really skilled at explaining things to them in terms that they can understand. And this is you'll as you see as we move through the, the podcast. This this is very important in trying to overcome the misinformation that 's out there on, on many topics, especially nutrition. The single most important thing I would like for you to remember when talking with pet owners about misinformation is this: how you communicate is as important as what you communicate, so it 's very tempting to want to immediately respond. When you hear someone make an incorrect statement, my initial reflex is to want to tell them they're wrong, and that's not going to be an effective way to to follow some of the guidelines I'll give you, and the first of that will be to build trust and and to build a connection and understand pet pet parents and pet owners and where they are, that's going to be critically important that you think about the process versus the things you want to say. So what I will do is share with you four guidelines that you can use to enhance your effectiveness when communicating with pet owners about nutrition myths, misinformation, really of, of any type. And the first guideline will be that you want to engage to understand and build connections and a relationship. So and another way to say that would be listen before talking. Uh, and we'll look in more detailed description uh, in just a few minutes about how you would do that. The second guideline is to emphasize your key messages. So not the myth. In fact, you really want to avoid repeating the myth if at all possible because repeating it can actually further emphasize it and make it more difficult to, to have the, the pet owner forget the myth, which is what our goal is, is to have them overcome that misinformation to, to start remembering more correct information. So number one, engage to understand. Number two, emphasize your key messages, not the myth. And then the third guideline is to use succinct, simple explanations, ideally with images to help people remember the important points that you're trying to communicate. I would say to think about it very much like a newspaper headline. If you look at how journalists communicate, they c- communicate a headline, which is the most important information first at the top. And that's really what you want to to get used to doing when you're communicating your key messages to try and overcome um, incorrect information that a pet owner may believe. So that was the third guideline, simple, succinct explanations with images whenever possible. And the fourth one is to provide an explanation for why the myth came to be? How is it that it was originated and why it's wrong? And we'll look at examples of how you might do that. So the four guidelines, uh, we'll look at each of them more closely. And I'll start first with the engage uh, to, to understand. That one is critically important because you really want to assess where the pet owner is, what their baseline knowledge is, what are their current beliefs What's their willingness to engage with you? Are they interested in learning more, hearing more information? Are they willing to change their mind? So that's what you're going to be looking for as you're having this initial conversation with them to understand. So what I would say is that the best way to do this is to ask open-ended questions, questions that require the pet owner to describe and really provide details to you and to really tell their story about where they're coming from regarding their pet. You want to really do open-ended questions as much as possible instead of closed-ended questions. And closed-ended questions would be those that require a simple yes or no answer. So, you know, a closed-ended question would be, are you feeding your pet treats? And the answer is either yes or no. Perhaps a better way to ask that to get even more information, which is more accurate, is to say from the time that you get up in the morning until you go to bed at night, tell me about all the foods that your pet loves to eat. And it's amazing at how much information you can get when you ask an open-ended question like that. People are really excited oftentimes to share and tell you about their pet's day and what are the different things that they eat. So again, number one, engage to understand before you try to communicate your key points about misinformation. Some other Examples of open-ended questions that you might ask specifically related to nutrition, and these will help you gauge where the owner is on a scale of 1 to 10 of being willing to to engage with you and, and to maybe listen to what you have to say, would be to say something like, you know, Tell me about what things are important to you when it comes to selecting a food for your pet or what concerns do you have about the pet foods that are out there today? What resources would be helpful to you when deciding on a pet food or when you try to learn more about nutrition? Another very helpful thing to do is to express empathy, uh, to help build connections and, and facilitate an exchange of information You know, it could be as simple as saying to the pet owner, I know that it can be really overwhelming out there with all the information that you hear about pet foods and there are so many options. So that can really put you in their position and help them understand that you know what it's like for them to try and and, and sort through all of the massive information that they have available to, to them. It helps to also practice reflective listening, to paraphrase, to summarize, to repeat back to the pet owner what you've heard them say, and that really shows them that you are understanding and recognizing their perspective, they're valued, and that they're being heard. After you listen first and talk with pet owners. It gives you a good idea of their interest in hearing more about what you have to say, especially when it comes to pet nutrition and some of the common myths that they may come into your hospital with um, that they've heard prior to to engaging with you. So clients uh, that are open to hearing more, I like to call those the undecided majority. They may say things to you like, I'm not really sure what's best to feed my pet or what do you think about all the available diets out there? Or what do you feed your pet? And sometimes that can be a good way to continue the the conversation. You could also ask them directly if they're interested in hearing more about nutrition, considering some of the confusing information that's out there. The good news is there's a an overwhelming majority of clients that do want to hear from you. I think many times when I talk to, to veterinary technicians and the veterinary health care team members that are communicating with pet owners, it feels like sometimes that the people that have different views than you, that have strongly held beliefs about nutrition, that are unwilling to change their mind, it sometimes can feel like they're in the majority but the reality is they're not. They're actually in the minority, and I would refer to them as the those that are in the minority. They may be unswayable in their opinions, and the takeaway from this is that from your conversation of listening, you will understand who you're working with and what their openness is to hearing more from you, and you have to pick your battles. So I would recommend that you focus on the majority of pet owners that are open, to hearing your input on pet foods, common myths that they may have heard. Devote your time to helping them and not the small percentage or the vocal minority who are unlikely to change their minds or their behavior. No matter how many facts you give them or how long you listen or engage with them, they're simply not going to change. And so it's probably not worth your investment of time to focus on them. Again, the good news is, They're in the minority. So it's that majority of people who are open and willing to listen that you want to engage with. So that was a a bit of detail on the first guideline. So engage first, listen before talking. The second guideline is that you want to emphasize the information that you think is important for the pet owner to understand, not the myth. There is a tendency or it's almost like a reflex when you hear someone say something that is false or that you know that is inaccurate, you almost immediately, if you're like me, you want to tell them that's not true or corn's not a filler if that's the myth that they have repeated back to you. The, the challenge with that is is repeating the myth actually can emphasize it further in the memory so you'd like to avoid doing that and also if building a relationship and building trust is is the first goal, then telling someone right off that they're wrong is not going to help with that. So instead, you want to focus on communicating the truths that you know about. So for example, for corn, which there are many myths about, a key message that you could state to the pet owner instead of telling them that corn is not a filler is to instead say, corn is a great source of energy calories in pet foods and it provides key nutrients that your pet needs and then if appropriate or if the owner is interested and wants to hear more you could provide additional supporting points Things like corns contain essential fatty acids that support a healthy skin and coat. Describing the benefits uh, to the pet owner that they can see is very helpful for them to understand why they would want to, to feed their pet a food that has high levels of essential fatty acids. Or you could tell them that corn provides amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein, and that can help support muscle mass and, and tissue growth in their pet. Or you could tell them that corn provides a source of fiber and that helps support your pet's gastrointestinal health. So you can see from this example that I did not repeat the myth and instead I worked to communicate key messages that I wanted my listener to hear so that they could understand the benefits of corn and why corn in a pet food actually can be beneficial and provide benefits to their pet that they can recognize. There still will be some times where we're repeating the myth is just something you'll have to do because it's unavoidable. And if you need to repeat the actual myth, it's helpful to provide a warning so that it's clear to the listener, your pet owner that you're speaking with in the exam room, the information that you're about to say to them is actually incorrect or false. So for example, you could say you may have heard some incorrect information or some of the common myths about corn, for example, that it's a filler or that it can cause allergies in pets. And with that presentation, you've clearly warned them up front that the information you're saying is incorrect and false, and then you would want to, from there, continue the conversation to focus on the key points that you want to communicate to them, the positive benefits of, of corn, for example, in a pet food. So, so far we've covered two guidelines that you can use. The first was to engage first, listen to understand. The second one was to communicate the key points that you want to get across, avoid repeating the myth. And the third guideline, which I've already been really utilizing up to this point, is to keep your explanations simple and succinct. And as much as possible, use visuals, images, photographs, pictures, figures, charts to emphasize your key points. Uh, Remember, a picture really is worth a thousand words. And it's just so much better at really helping people understand what you're trying to communicate to them. So along the lines of communicating in a simple and a succinct fashion that headlining style where you provide a key message as a headline it makes it easier for them to remember the most important thing if you give people too many details or too many facts Even though we know a lot about nutrition and and other areas of veterinary medicine, it's just overwhelming and it's too much for a pet owner to remember the most important thing. So try to focus on the single most important thing you want to communicate to them in your explanation. And again, pictures are very helpful for emphasizing your, your key points that you're trying to get across to the pet owner. The fourth and final guideline for successfully communicating about myths is to explain why the myth is not true or how it started in the first place. This is probably the step that's most easily overlooked because it does take a little work on our part to come up with an explanation that makes sense. Sometimes you may need help with that and and that's fine. That's very understandable, but it's really important to do because once you correct a myth by providing new facts, it really leaves a gap in the pet owner's mind uh, that they've, they've held this belief for some time. You've now come along and given them new information that's credible and believable And makes sense, but it helps to explain to them why that incorrect belief was actually created in the first place. And so this can be done through a variety of different techniques. One is to actually explain why the myth is wrong. So for the example I've been using that corn is a filler, which is incorrect, you could explain to the pet owner that corn provides vital nutrients that pets need. We talked about essential fatty acids, amino acids, and fiber. Fillers don't have any nutritional value. Therefore, because corn provides nutritional value, it cannot be a filler. Uh, So that would be one way to help correct the myth by explaining why it's incorrect. Another would be to explain that that myths can sometimes be based on partial truths, and the person that started the myth actually cherry-picked only selected pieces of information that supported their personal point of view. So for example, the myths, it's a myth that dogs and cats can't digest carbohydrates in pet food, and it's likely that myth originated because someone cherry-picked information from studies that show dogs and cats have difficulty digesting raw carbohydrates. However, carbohydrates in pet foods are cooked. And because they're processed and cooked appropriately, they have very high levels of digestibility, greater than 90% in cats and dogs, which is extremely high. That means that dogs and cats can utilize Carbohydrates that are found in commercial pet foods. Another final explanation for what you could do to explain why the myth has persisted or was originated is to say, to explain why the motivation for the myth and, and why it began in the first place. And one common motivation for myths is to the financial benefit of the generator of the myth. So, for example, if you are in the market of selling only grain free foods, then it is to your financial benefit to begin and continue communicating a myth to pet owners that grains are bad in pet food. So this is something that you can use to help explain to pet owners why the myth was begun in the first place. I've been through four guidelines. There's a lot of information there. Hopefully, there are some very helpful tips that you can use when you go back to your hospitals and practices and and initiate a conversation about pet nutrition, especially when it's a a pet owner that's come into you and they are confused and may have beliefs that they've picked up from their information sources. So what, what I want to do is briefly review the four guidelines again, and we'll flip this time and use it to address some of the common that you may have heard about dietary protein. So some of those would be things like dogs came from wolves and they need meat for protein. Another one that you may hear a lot is that cats are carnivores and they need high protein diets. And another one is that high protein foods are what are best for pets. So the first thing you want to do uh, regarding some of the common dietary protein myths is remember to engage with pet owners to understand what they've heard about protein in pet foods. Don't talk first. You want to listen first before talking. Uh, you could continue the conversation by asking them what their goals are regarding their pet's nutrition. Uh, also gives you a chance to determine if they're open to hearing your recommendations. And remember the good news, although it may not seem like it at times, the reality is most pet owners want to hear your recommendation. What you have to say is important and they want to hear your guidance Uh, the second guideline after engaging to understand is to focus on your key messages that you want to communicate avoid repeating the myth so for dietary protein some key messages that you could use uh, could be your pet needs high quality protein not high quantity protein or you could say foods with high quality protein are easy for your pet to digest Another explanation could be a food with highly digestible protein means that there's more available protein for your pet. And then finally, you could say a high quality protein contains all the essential or required amino acids that your pet needs. And another interesting way to communicate, this very much depends on your owner, but but you're going to be really good at understanding what their goals are, what they're like, what things they are motivated by. But today, in line with sustainability, there are many pet parents that are very interested in sustainability. And Regarding dietary protein, one of your key messages to that pet owner could be to tell them that feeding higher protein in excess of their pet's needs is not environmentally friendly or sustainable in the long term. So again, focus your key message that you want to communicate to the pet owner, not the myth. The third guideline is, hopefully you've seen this has been emphasized throughout, including with the the key messages I just reviewed for dietary protein, that you want to keep your communication as simple and succinct as possible. Avoid overwhelming pet owners with too many facts, Just pick the the one statement that you think will be most compelling to them, and as much as possible, include visuals that support your key message that you're trying to, to get across. And then finally, the fourth guideline is to provide a credible explanation for why the myth is not true or why it started in the first place. For protein, many of the myths that exist are based on partial truths, and so it makes it challenging to work through the information to decide what's true and not true for the pet owner, and you are in a position to be very helpful to them. So, for example, you could say it is true that cats need more protein than dogs and that's why cat foods have more protein than dog foods. Another explanation is to say it is true that feeding a high-protein food helps lose weight. However, there are no long-term studies that show benefits of feeding high-protein foods to cats in general. And, And finally, another explanation could be that it is true that feeding A high-protein food provides more protein. However, once your pet consumes adequate amounts of the amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein, that they need to meet their daily needs, any extra protein is used for energy or calories. It's stored as fat, which could contribute to obesity, or it's simply excreted as waste. I've been through the four guidelines. I really hope that these are helpful to you. And, and to summarize, you know, I empathize with all of you that are communicating with pet owners today because nutrition myths are really common. And as you're aware, they can have a negative impact on the health of pets because they interfere with the pet owner's ability to follow the appropriate recommendation from the veterinary health care team. Think about the impact of the anti-vaccination movement and the increased occurrence of measles outbreaks. Think about The popularity now of grain-free, boutique exotic and grain-free, or BEG diets, and now what we're seeing with the occurrence of dilated cardiomyopathy in dogs. Even though pet owners today are connected to information 24-7, just like we are, the majority of them still want to hear recommendation from the veterinary healthcare team. So your input does matter and it can make a difference. So focus your efforts on the people that are willing to listen. Uh, Don't spend time trying to convert the unconvertible. You have to let them go. And, you know, as you talk with pet owners more and understand their goals, you will be able to recognize which of them are open to hearing from you and which are really not. When you try to correct misinformation or myths, remember that facts alone are not enough. The single most important thing I want you to remember is that you need to change how you communicate in addition to what you communicate. And again, the four guidelines to increase your effectiveness when talking with pet owners about myths, nutrition myths, misinformation, are one, engage to understand and build relationships, listen first, then talk. The second one is to communicate your key message, not the myth. The third is to be as simple and succinct as possible. Use visuals when possible and don't overwhelm people with too many facts. And then finally, one that's often overlooked but very important to change people's minds permanently is to explain why the myth is incorrect or how it came to be in the first place. And that is the end of my information there. So those are my final thoughts for you today. I hope this has been helpful and I think we've probably got a time for a a few questions.
0: Let's talk real quick about pet owners looking for information about their pet's food online. Sometimes this research is a good thing, and they've sifted through the sources successfully and come away with some really great information. But of course, there's plenty of misinformation out there as well. Do you have any advice for when a pet owner comes in asking about information they found on Dr. Google? Are there any specific resources you'd recommend we point pet owners toward to help them gather information from a credible and trustworthy source?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked this one a lot and I have to say my response has changed over over my initial, the way that I approach this. So the reality is if you think about what you do when you have something going on in your life or maybe a symptom that you're not quite sure what it is, the first thing that we all do is we get online and we look for what the possibilities might be that we don't call the doctor immediately and make an appointment. So the reality is, is that, Most of us that are in the healthcare profession, we know where to look for reputable, credible information. And our pet owners often don't know where to look. So I think that today, considering the availability of all of the information that's out there, our role now is to embrace it, to work with it and to use it to our advantage. And I really believe it's the way it is. And so one thing that you can do is to, actually refer people to to reputable sources of information that you use to find answers to questions. You can share it in your social media posts. You could put it on your hospital website. If you have a hospital website, you can actually let them know about reputable websites where they can get information that you consider credible and valuable and that could be helpful to them. So my response is to make it work for you. It's reality. So there is you know in contrast even 5 years ago today there are tremendous resources that are available uh, for for pet owners to consult and for the veterinary healthcare team I think one of the ones that I really I look at a lot myself, and it's really written towards the pet owner is the PetFoodology.com website. It's created and maintained by the veterinary clinical nutritionist at Tufts University's um, School of Veterinary Medicine. And it's very practical information. It it is very well thought of by everyone in the profession. And it's a tremendous resource for, for pet owners and veterinary healthcare team members alike. Another one is the uh, FCO website for those that are following the guidelines, and that's predominantly North America. So, the Association of American Feed Control Officials um, have a website is talkspetfood.afco.org and lots of great information there. You know, they talk about ingredients, what's a byproduct, what does it mean, all the things that I think many of us get questions about related to nutrition in dogs and cats. Another global website that I think is really helpful is the World Small Animal Veterinary Association or WASAVA. They're at wasava.org and they have a specific section with global nutrition guidelines. have a nutrition toolkit you can actually click on download and it has tremendous number of pdf files that it can be beneficial so some examples are a file that you can use called the savvy cat owner's guide to nutrition on the internet there's one for dog owners as well there is one that helps pet owners select the best pet food telling them what things to look for so this is a a website that's independent of all of these are independent of pet food companies so it's great to have those credible independent websites to, to go to and get information. A couple others to mention if you are outside of North America, so especially in Europe, the Pet Food Manufacturers Association in the United Kingdom has a really great website. It's pfma.org.uk, and they have handouts that are written specifically towards pet owners. They have pictures that help, you know, that visuals that help emphasize key points, very succinct information that I highly recommend. And then also in the EU are the nutrition fact sheets that are produced by Fediaf. Uh, Fediaf is the equivalent of the AFCO in Europe and so they have very useful information written geared towards pet owners for, for healthcare team members as well. So those are just a few of the websites. There are many others that you may be aware of, but these are some that can be a good start for you to to go and find that reputable information.
0: Thanks, Dr. Forrester. That was a great comprehensive list. So if you want to check those sources out in more detail, they will be in the show notes. My next question has more to do with us as veterinary professionals. Sometimes when a pet owner comes in with questions, we can find our knowledge kind of lacking. Where can we as veterinary professionals find good information to help educate ourselves as well as help us communicate with pet owners about veterinary nutrition?
1: That's a great question. So sometimes those of us that are focused in a particular topic area like nutrition forget that it's overwhelming. The I mean, the information is there's a lot, um, and no one can be an expert on everything. If you're in practice, you know, you're you have other concerns that are involved with routine health care for pets besides nutrition. So I highly recommend using some of those same websites that I mentioned as references to go to to educate yourself to utilize those talking points, those key messages. So for example, it you know you could get a, a quick simple definition for what a bio Product is. You could get quick information, many of the same things I talked with you about on on protein, the benefits of of quality protein versus quantity protein so I think that would be the first place that I would go and you know absolutely no one should feel bad that you don't know everything you can't possibly know know everything but there are great resources for you to get the information from that you can then use with that those four guidelines um, that template for success for communicating about incorrect information to try and and do your best to correct it but because we really want to have a positive outcome for pets and we know that correcting and misinformation is really critical as a role in that.
0: All right. Finally, my last question is kind of related to the last comment you made about helping to correct some of the misinformation that's out there. Do you have any recommendations for resources that we can use to learn about effectively communicating with pet owners when trying to dispel these pet food myths? Sometimes it can be difficult to keep these conversations positive and productive, and I'd love to hear any insight you have on effective communication in these scenarios.
1: So uh, one of the main sources of information that I use to put together uh, the process, the guidelines that I shared with you in the podcast are, are from a very brief article. It's called The Debunking Handbook. It's actually not a handbook. It's a seven-page seven article that you can download at no charge. If you simply do an online search for the, the Debunking Handbook, you will find this article. It's written by two academic authors from Australia. And their motivation in this particular area is actually around some of the misinformation that's out there about climate change. So their guidelines are equally applicable to us in trying to correct myths about nutrition. And so that's The bulk of um, where I got much of my information that was very nicely summarized, it's available I think in 13 different languages, so you have your choice of languages depending on where you live in the world and your preferred language, and again, you just simply online search for that article, the, The Debunking Handbook, and you can download a PDF for no charge and to me, it's a tremendous resource uh, that you can use to help you become more knowledgeable and, and understand why this process is important. I think I did say the most important single takeaway was it's important to change how you communicate in addition to what you communicate. So that those guidelines came, much of that came from that particular reference.
0: Thank you so much for that great information, Dr. Forrester.
1: Thank you very much. It was great to, to share this with you all. I hope that it helps make a difference for for pets. Listeners, I
0: hope that you've taken away some valuable information about how to approach the topic of pet nutrition and getting the entire team on board with making and reinforcing nutritional recommendations. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback on this podcast as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear me cover in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm@vetfolio.com or on Facebook at Dr. Cassie DVM. And remember... If one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.